0: Let's start off with this question. Can you remember the first time that you responded to an emergency? When was the first time you really felt that sense of urgency? My first time was actually when I was a little boy and we were camping. Is anybody ready or excited for camping season? Oh, you're excited about that, huh? Yeah. So I was camping as a little boy when I was, when I was real little. My family would always uh, go camping at this little campground in Allegan County at uh, Schnabel Lake. That's kind of what I expected. <laughs> when I was a little guy, that's where we would camp every single summer. And for the summer, we'd spend most of our time out there. And when I was camping there as a little boy, uh, I was friends with this, this uh, other little boy named Patrick. And I was about five or six at the time. And... Uh, to kind of give you an idea of how old I am, this was roughly 1984 is my guess. And so as a little guy, uh, little guys, we would, we would run all through the campground together, alone, because apparently in 1984, we didn't watch our kids. And me and Patrick would just run all over this place. And this one day we decided, uh, we, this one day we, we uh, had to use the bathroom. So we ran to the public bathrooms barefoot because it's 1984 and little boys are gross, and we walked into the bathroom barefoot, a public restroom. But as we're walking in, he was actually ahead of me, and he was running. And as he was running, he took this big, the big steel door, and he swung it open as hard as he could. And as he swung it open, it it actually knocked him off his balance, and his feet slipped out from under him, and he fell on his back, and I saw his head just bounce off the concrete. And he goes, and he's laid there and he goes, oh, and then he rolled over on his stomach just in time for this big steel door to shut on his head. So if this was videotaped, it would be like a billion views on YouTube. And I sat there and I saw this happen and I realized, "Uh uh-oh, this is bad. Even at five or six, I, I knew this was, this was a bad deal. And then my suspicion was confirmed when a pool of blood started coming around his head. And even at five or six, I knew I had to respond. So I knew I got to go get his mom. So I started running towards their camper. And I realized as I was running, I don't know her name. I don't know Patrick's last name. So all I could do, all I thought to do was scream out, Patrick's mom! Patrick's mom! Patrick's hurt. There's an emergency, and I'm running. I go to her camp. I go to her camper. She's not there, so I keep running through the campground, screaming out, "Patrick's mom! Patrick's mom!" Well, she's clued into this, and she she comes running up. She was actually swimming at the lake. She was in her bathing suit with a towel, and she said, "What's going on?" And I was like, "Patrick's hurt," and she said, "Where?" and For some reason, all I could think to say was, in his neck! And she said, what? Where is he? I said, he's in the bathrooms. And I distinctly remember she dropped her towel and started running. full-grown woman in her bathing suit, running full-bore in a campground, running towards her son. And I remember sitting there thinking... I'm a hero. Somebody better buy me ice cream for this. I'm a hero. And so actually as she ran away and I had this memory in my head of her dropping her towel and I reflect on this, I've learned a couple lessons from that. First lesson is this is when you have a true sense of urgency, you don't care what people think. When you have a true sense of urgency, you don't care what people think. I didn't care that people saw me run around screaming, Patrick's mom, Patrick's mom. She didn't care that she's running through a campground in just her bathing suit because she knew her son was hurt and she had to run to him. Now, during this sermon series, we've been talking about being dirt road disciples. And what we mean by this is, is like, we are people who, who truly follow Jesus just as much as we are walking down a dirt road, that our faith has some grit to it. It has some real life to it. Just as we feel a dirt road under our feet, that's how real our faith feels to us. And today, we're going to look at this lesson from these two, this, these two disciples that we've been walking with. And today, we're going to learn this that we have a faith that responds. When I saw my friend fall, I knew I had to respond because a sense of urgency, when you truly have a sense of urgency, you respond. So we've been in Luke chapter 24 as we're following these two disciples. I go ahead and encourage you to turn there now. If you've been with us, you know that we've been in Luke chapter 24. We're going to be in Luke chapter 4, 24 for this entire sermon series. So go ahead and put a bookmark there. Keep it there. Turn right there whenever you get to Peace Church for the next few weeks. We're going to be looking at verses 28 to 35. And if you, ha- if you weren't with us last week, let me just lay the context for you. The story that we're going to read happens on the day of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have these two disciples who were in Jerusalem, and they're walking to Emmaus, which the Bible says is about seven miles from Jerusalem. Probably these guys are walking home after being in Jerusalem. But Jesus has been crucified, and he's died. But they don't know that he's risen from the dead yet, and they're confused about what's happening. And Jesus shows up, and he walks. He takes this seven-mile walk with these guys. And he tells them the gospel. He doesn't show up on the scene and say to them, hey boys, it's me, I'm Jesus, I'm risen, I'm alive, I've triumphed. He doesn't lead off with that. He first drives them back to scripture. For this seven mile walk, he opens up the Bible to them. He opens up the Old Testament and he walks them through it and he says everything that's happened, the Bible said was going to happen. So rather than just come up and just unveiling himself, he wants to make sure that their experience is first grounded in truth. And so they spend seven miles walking and doing a Bible study together. Them all the while not knowing this is the risen Jesus. And then after the seven miles they reach their destination, that's where we are going to pick up. Luke chapter 24, verses 28 to 35. It'll be on the screen if you want to follow along there. But either way, hear the word of the Lord. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, Emmaus. And he, Jesus, acted as if he was going to go further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures to us? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. This is the word of God, everyone. Let's pray, and then we'll get to it. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, as we open up your word today, I would pray that you open up our hearts. I pray that you'd open our eyes and you'd give us a burning heart to the truth of your word, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would awaken us and transform us to be a light in this world. Lord, we pray these things for your glory, for our joy. And for the good of our neighbor. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. So every message in this sermon series is going to have the two, two main parts. Just so you know where, where we are going. We're first going to talk about being grounded in truth. And then we're going to talk about having a gritty faith. So let's go back to the beginning of our passage. Let's just walk through it. Verse 28 and 29. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. And Jesus acted as if he was going to go farther, but the guys were like, hold on, wait, stay with us. It's already late in the day. Come have dinner with us. And so he does. Now, what what I want to share with you is I don't think this is the primary point of this passage, but I think there's something here that is beautiful that I want to underscore. And that is the friendship that is forged when people read the Bible together. They just spend seven miles walking together and reading and Jesus has given them a bible study and at the end of this walk they still want to be together they still want to be with this guy a friendship is forged a bond is created because that's what's hap- that's what happens when you read truth together god does unite your hearts together in truth so so friends who are out here are you reading the bible together Because you should be, and your friendship will deepen when you do. They had just seemingly met this guy, but because of their focus on the truth, they were ready to befriend him on the spot and welcome him in. And so they do, and he stays with them. And when he was at table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. You know, what's interesting about this this verse here is that Jesus was invited in. They don't know it's Jesus, remember, at this point. They just invite this guy in. And they just invite him in, and he sits at the head of the table and acts like the host and starts serving them. I mean, think about it from these guys' standpoint. You just meet this guy. You're kind enough to welcome him into your house. He walks in like he owns the joint, sits at the head of the table, and starts serving you. Now, do you know why this happens? Because Jesus always takes his place. Jesus will always take his rightful place in whatever setting he is in. Now culturally speaking here, uh, I think a couple, there's two ways we could probably look at this. One is that these disciples, they recognize this man, this, their mysterious teacher, as the oldest person. And in that culture, you would have given him the head of the table anyway. Or they may have looked at him, and because of his profound teaching, they wanted to honor him as a rabbi, and so they gave him the proper seat. But either way, we see Jesus take his place because he always takes his place. Jesus always sits at the seat of authority. It's a beautiful exchange. It's a powerful interaction. He takes his place, and then he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it. And he gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Now, clearly, this is a spiritual awakening for these two guys. And for the Christian faith, belief that we have, it's not just logical reasoning. It is a spiritual revelation. Whenever we come to faith, it is the working of God. I cannot convince you to believe this stuff. I may give you compelling teaching. I may... Inspire some intriguing um, aspects of the faith to you. But I can't make you believe this stuff. That is the work of the Spirit. Jesus is the one who called them to recognize who he was. But let's talk about this for a second, this breaking of the bread. I want to camp out on here for a second. It'd be easy to assume that they're having communion here. It'd be easy to think that they're just having the Lord's Supper. And by the Lord's Supper, which is a very spiritual act... That's how they came to know Jesus. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think they're having the Eucharist. I don't think they're having the Lord's Supper. I don't think they're partaking in communion. And I'll tell you why. A couple reasons. One, Jesus doesn't usher the meal in like that. Second, the drink is not represented. That is an essential element to communion. And thirdly, the Bible tells us that when we have communion, we don't do it accidentally. We do it and we have preparation time and we seek reverence as we partake in communion. None of that is happening here. I think we simply have Jesus just having dinner with these guys. And it's at that moment that the Lord of the host decides to make himself known. There is not some secret formula. There's not some some religious ritual that can make someone believe like communion. Communion is a beautiful thing that Christians do in response to the truth that we know. This is simply Jesus just Being Lord of overall and making himself known in this moment. But I think there's something else that's beautiful that's happening here. Jesus, remember, he has just walked with them. He's talked with them. He shared the Bible with them. He shares a meal with them. And then they respond and welcome him in. Jesus, at that point, chooses to open their eyes. It's almost like at that moment, Jesus is like, All right, boys, my job here is done. We've had a Bible study together. We've walked together. We've talked together. I've shared scripture with you. You have rightly responded to the truth of God's word by befriending a stranger and showing hospitality to me, and you welcomed me in. You've responded rightly. My job here is done. And then he exits supernatural style. And he vanished from their sight. Now, I'm going to teach you a phrase here. Please don't even remember this, because it's just silly that this is even actually a phrase. Uh, Hapax legomenon. Now, Hapax legomenon is just a really super fancy way to say the only time a word appears in a context. This word vanished in the original language is the word "ephantos." And it's the only time we see that word in all of the New Testament. And we call it a apex legomenon. Because apparently theologians have nothing better to do with their time than than to come up with complex ways to say very simple things. But here we have this word, and it's the only time we see this word in Scripture. Now actually the phrase here in the original language is, Jesus became invisible, but we just simplify that in English to say he vanished. And listen, this is the all-loving Jesus. They know that it's him. But don't tell me this wouldn't be a little freaky. That would be a little unnerving to me. The risen Jesus makes himself known after I just walked seven miles with him. And then right when he makes himself known, that's when he decides to disappear. Now listen, that's how I read this. That's how I think I would respond. But these guys show us how they actually respond. They respond to this supernatural event. The supernatural event where Jesus shows us something about himself. That the risen Jesus is no longer constrained by space and time. Jesus shows himself to be Lord over all. You see, Jesus Christ laid down his life. For us all, he laid down his life on a cross. And as he was laying there on this cross, they nailed him to it. They hoisted him up so his full body weight would hang on these nails, holding him up. He did that so that he would experience the full wrath of God being poured out on him, wrath that was meant for our sins. But it's a wrath that we don't have to face that we don't have to feel. Jesus does it for us. And he hangs there until it kills him. And they take his dead body and they place it in a cold tomb. And three days later, he walks out. And as he walks out, listen to me, he does not walk out a victim. Jesus walks out a victor. A victor over Satan, sin, and death itself. And when we say Jesus walked out as Lord over all, I'm telling you, that means Lord over all creation. I even say Lord over all reality. Jesus is Lord over space-time itself. Jesus is no longer subject to the restraints of space-time. We see here that now Jesus controls that. He is Lord over all. And he decides when he's going to be there and when he's not. And he vanishes From their sight. And in this moment, we see that Jesus is powerful enough to vanish before our eyes, yet he is also personal enough to walk with us for seven miles. And that's the level at which I want you to know Jesus, to know him as Lord over all, who holds all of creation in his hand, and yet so personal, he will hold your hand. That's how intimately and how closely and how powerfully I want you to know the risen Jesus. And he disappears before their eyes, and they show us how they responded. And then they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures to us? I love what these guys say here. They look back on their time. They look back on their walk with Jesus and they knew. They look back and they realize they knew something special was happening. They knew something miraculous was happening in that moment, in their hearts. When they look back, they realize, wasn't our hearts burning? This all makes sense now. See, I think there are times that here, all of us, everyone here, I dare say at some point you sense something special is happening. And I would say that is something spiritual. But yet in our Western mind, we want to downplay that. We want to explain it away. So we put it behind us and we shove it down rather than embracing the miracle and the supernatural that we have available before us. We want to explain it away rather than believing that maybe there is actually more to life than just a set of scientific principles. I think we would have more spiritual encounters if we were actually more open to the spiritual around us. And listen to me. If we are truly grounded in truth and reliant on the Holy Spirit, then that is to be embraced. If we are going to ground ourselves in God's truth and rely on God's Spirit, then we need to embrace the supernatural that's happening around us, to embrace the spiritual that is all around us. Yes, on the one hand, I do. This whole entire sermon series is about bringing the grit back to our faith. The real-life, dirt road, rubber-meets-the-road type aspect to our faith. That's, in large part, what this sermon series is about. But I'm here to tell you, if we truly embrace the full reality of our faith, then we will also embrace the supernatural aspects to it. The spiritual aspects to it that will no longer try to see this world just through a set of scientific equations, but through a spiritual revelation. I truly believe that when we look to the sky, yes, we see the stars, and they are beautiful. But I also think that when we look to the night sky, we also, in a very real spiritual sense, we see the heavens. We see something that is truly scientific and also something that is profoundly spiritual. And I don't know why we can't embrace them both. Because they both bring us into a deeper sense of reality. See, these guys, they had their eyes opened to what they had already experienced. And do you know what they do? They respond. And they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the 11 and those who were gathered um, and those who were with them gathered together. See, we don't know exactly how many Christians were gathered there in that room, just that the Christians were gathered together with the original disciples as denoted by the term the 11. This is different than the 12 because Judas Iscariot has died. So the 12 now becomes the 11. I think that's just a shorthand way that Luke is saying that the original disciples were there because the Gospel of John tells us a slightly different story. It just says that that, um, Thomas was not there. Thomas appears later, which is how he gets the name Doubting Thomas, which is another story. I don't think Luke is trying to be exact with his numbers here. I think the 11 is just a shorthand way of saying the original disciples were there with the other Christians. He's not giving us a specific number. I think he's trying to make this point, that Christians were together because Christians need to stick together. A few of you got it right. Let me say that again. Because Christians need to stick together. And all God's people said, we need to stick together. We need to be found sticking together. And when the Emmaus disciples returned to Jerusalem, which was a seven-mile walk already at the end of the day, by the way, just for a little bit of context for you, I'm guessing this is somewhere about seven or eight o'clock at night, and they decided to take a seven-mile walk. That's like walking from here to the far side of Freeport. Late in the day. That's the level of urgency that they felt in their heart, that they had to do that. And when they got back to Jerusalem, they found their fellow Christians all together, and look what they found them doing. It says, They arose that same hour, returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those who were gathered with them together. And they were all saying, The Lord has risen indeed. And he has appeared to Simon, meaning Simon Peter, the, the, the disciple Peter. Because this shows us that we are better together. The Emmaus travelers, they walk in and they find the, the, the Christians there talking about the very same news that they themselves brought, that Jesus is alive, that he has risen from the dead. And At this point, I think the Emmaus disciples, I think they realize something that you need to realize, and that I need to realize, and that all y'all need to realize. That when Jesus is working on us, we can trust he's also working on others. And that is a beautiful thing. And that is all the more reason why Christians need to come together. So that when he works on you and he works on me, that means together he's working on us. And that will make the church stronger. If there is ever a time where we need to stick together as a church, it is now. Now. The time is running short, and we need to stick together. We are stronger together. And listen to me. Now is the time to be committed to your church. If Peace Church is your church, then God bless you. Be committed. And I say this with as much love in my heart as I can muster. If you're only at this church because your church is mandating masks, and you like that we give options, I love you, but it's time to go back to your church. And if you can't submit to the leadership there, then you need to reconcile that with God. And if it's time to make this your church, then make it your church and get to work because we got a job here. I'm saying this with as much love as I can, but we're nearing the end of this COVID thing. In Jesus' name, I will say that. And it's time for churches to be stronger and churches are not strong right now. Praise be to God, we're very strong. But other churches aren't. And maybe that's God's sovereignty, or maybe it's where you need to go back and help strengthen your church. But if he's calling you here, then praise God, it's because we got a job to do and you are a necessary part of what God's called us to do. If you are called here, let me say that again, if you are called here, it's because you are a necessary part of what we are called to do and we can't do it without you. But I am saying to you now, Whatever you called your church, you need to start going to that church because the church, it's time for us to be stronger and we are stronger together. COVID has certainly thrown a monkey wrench in our ability to minister like we'd want. It's thrown a a monkey wrench in our ability to connect like we want. It's thrown a monkey wrench in our ability to foster connection like we want. I see a bunch of people here and I'm like, oh man, you and you would be awesome friends, but I don't think you know each other yet. You and you would be awesome in a small group together, but there's just this, there's this truncatedness because of COVID right now. So here's what I'm going to say to you. If you are a Christian who loves the Lord and is seeking after the Lord and you want to get connected, here's what I'm going to say to you. Make an effort. Our ability to foster this in all the ways that we want is hard right now. So I'm going to put the burden back on you as a follower and brother or sister in Christ. Make an effort. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. We're going to get there. But if you can't wait, then make an effort. I want to see this church so connected and glued together. It's literally that we are one, even though we're thousands. Because I think we're stronger together God's got a mission for each, every single one of you, and he's also got a mission for us as a church. And we can only accomplish that mission for us as a church when all of us play our part. Okay, I'll get off the soapbox. I'll get back to preaching. They return at that same hour, and they go back to be with the believers. And they are found simply swapping testimonies. They're simply sharing what Christ has done in and amongst each other, and then they told what had happened on the road, and how Jesus was known to them in the breaking of bread. I just love this. These amazed disciples—they go back, they're sharing testimonies. They start sharing their testimony. So here's what I'd say: if you're in a group of Christian friends, or if you're in a small group at Peace Church, the next time you get together, here's what I'm going to encourage you to do: go ahead and just set the curriculum aside, and just take time and share testimony. Just share about the great, word that you see, this great work that you see God doing in your life and in this world. Take time to share testimony because there's something powerful in it. How did you come to know Christ and what is he doing in your life right now? So now that we've taken some time to ground ourselves in this passage, how do we take this and develop a real gritty faith? What does it look like to have a real gritty faith in light of this? Here's what I'd say to you. A gritty faith responds with a sense of urgency. A gritty faith responds with a sense of urgency. Let me give you the formula. Let me give you the recipe for a sense of urgency. It was found right in our passage. Let's go back and see if you can pick it up. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. God opened their eyes. They have open eyes. The very next verse, 32. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? Open eyes plus burning hearts. Next verse. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They returned with a sense of urgency. Open eyes plus burning hearts results in a sense of urgency. So if you don't have a sense of urgency, one of these is missing. And I would encourage you to pray to the Lord to reveal to you which one you are missing and ask him for that so that you could develop a sense of urgency because the truth is we are running out of time with open eyes and burning hearts we need to respond with a sense of urgency so let me ask you what will it take for you to develop a sense of urgency What will it take for you to actually speak the name of Jesus to someone else? What will it take for you to develop a sense of urgency? The other day, Pastor John and myself, we decided to do a uh, Facebook Live video. It was actually in preparation for Good Friday. So we thought, hey, we jump on Facebook Live and just do a live video and encourage people to come out to, to, to Good Friday. Well, right before the video happened... I decided to go ahead and throw a Werther's original in my mouth. So I went into this live video with candy in my mouth, real professional. And during the video, you can hear this candy clinking around in my teeth. Anybody want this? Mark, here you go. Oh. Bad throw. You know, so many people, they watch that video and... I've gotten torn up and down for that. I've been inundated with Werther's original, which is why I feel free to go ahead and just throw them out to you. Everybody and their brother has been handing me Werther's original. Thank you. They're all delicious. I don't care if they're for grandpas or not. But I talked to so many people who watch the video afterwards, and they're like, oh, man, I wish I could have seen that live. Right? Because there's something about our world that it's not just that we have everything on demand. We want to see things live. It's not enough just to see things that have happened. We want to see things happen as they happen. We love to watch live stream videos. Those are those who are watching live right now. I'm just going to go ahead and break down the fourth wall right now. There's a reason I set us all up with that story. It's because there's a left hook that I'm going to bring that I want you to be prepared for. What if we could live stream hell? Would you even watch it? Would you want to watch it? As people rightfully, justfully and eternally pay for their sins against a fully righteous, fully just, and fully eternal God. If you could see that happening live right now, would that develop in you a sense of urgency? Would that cause you to open your mouth and share the gospel with somebody? Or or maybe I gave you a clock, and you took this clock, and every time you held it up to someone's face, it showed you how much time they have left on planet Earth. Would that cause you to have a sense of urgency? Because here's the reality. We all do have that clock. And every second that passes is one second closer to us meeting eternity. What will it take for Christians to develop a sense of urgency that causes them to actually respond We are running out of time. And the world is less and less believing our message. And do you want to know why? Because they don't believe that we believe it. Because they look at us and they say, for this grand, great message you all have sure seems like you lack a real sense of urgency. What will it take for you who claim the name of Christ to actually open up and speak the name of Christ with someone else. We are running out of time. With burning hearts and open eyes, we need to respond with a sense of urgency. But listen here. Do not confuse a frantic mindset or a hurried life or a busy schedule with a sense of urgency. I'm here to tell you, One of the most profound things you can do from a sense of urgency is to slow down and take a walk with someone and share the gospel with them. Why do I say that? Because Jesus did. He had a sense of urgency, but listen to me, that man was never in a hurry. Now, you may say to me, he was never in a hurry because he didn't have kids in travel sports. Maybe he was never in a hurry because he had his priorities in check all the time. Jesus was always on mission. And he showed us that sometimes what we do with our sense of urgency is we slow down. And we actually take the time to walk with someone and share the gospel with them. You think Jesus didn't have something better to do than take the seven-mile walk? That's what he chose to do in that moment. This Lord over all, over creation, over reality itself, decided to take his sense of urgency and take a seven-mile walk down a dirt road with two guys so that they knew the truth. This was his mission. And he had a sense of urgency, and he instilled that sense of urgency in these two guys. And they get up and they go right then and there to Jerusalem to be with the other Christians. When I was five years old my, and I saw my friend fall, I knew I had to respond. Now that I'm a full-grown man, I see this fallen world and I know I have to respond. And I pray that you look at this fallen world and you realize you have to respond. Because if not you, then who? Look at this world and realize you have to respond. Do not Tell me how bad this world is. Tell me what you're doing about it. Tell me what you're doing about it. See, urgency results from having our eyes open and our hearts burning to the truth of God's word and to the call of his mission. So as we close up, rather than give you a list of to-dos, I'm just gonna give you a list of questions. And in these questions, I pray that you answer these questions with the Holy Spirit and maybe your small group or maybe your family And you can respond, and with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, He can tell you how to respond. So, first question Do you have a sense of urgency for the gospel? If so, how? Second question Would you say that your life is marked more by a sense of urgency or by a busy schedule? And does something need to change? We are running out of time. Don't wait. When was the last time that you made time for someone to share the gospel with them or ask them? If you are a seeker in here, if you don't believe the gospel for yourself, but you have questions about Christianity, I'm here to tell you right now, those questions do not arise from your own curiosity. I truly believe the Holy Spirit is putting those questions in your heart to prepare you for faith. And I'm going to ask you to respond. If you have questions about the Christian faith, then ask a Christian I'd be more than happy to talk to you, but here's what i tell you. We have a church full of people who know the gospel. You don't have to go to the paid professional. I'd rather you actually go to one of the people here, one of our members, one of our attenders, and have them share the gospel with you. But for those of you who do know the gospel, who have embraced it, when was the last time that you made time to share the gospel with someone? And listen to me, please. Do not just discuss these. I want you to respond to them. So let's get to it. Amen. Would you please stand? Listen to me. Let me remind you, you yourself can save no one. We have a great Savior who does, but he gives us a mission. He gives us a calling. Our call is to do our job and let him do the rest. Amen? That should give us immense comfort in the midst of this. All you have to do is be faithful. You can't save anyone. Leave that to the Lord. Leave that to the King of Kings. So let's pray. Lord, I would just pray here and now. As you open the eyes of the Emmaus disciples, I pray that you'd open our eyes now. Give us a sense of urgency right now, Lord, here in this moment to respond in worship so that when the world does look at us, They don't see us just standing around. They see us raising our voices to the one that we do believe in. So I pray that the Spirit would work mightily right now here in the midst of this congregation as we lift up our voices to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords, to the one who has triumphed over Satan, sin, and death, who is Lord over all, who looks at us, who is powerful enough to bend space and time to his own will, but yet who is personal enough to walk with us. How could we not sing back to you our great king. We, so we pray these things in your name. In your holy name we pray these things. And everyone said, amen. Let's worship together.